0: Hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, So I'll be taking the Bible reading for today. And when I'm done, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. So the Bible reading will be taken from Galatians 3, verse 7 to 14. Verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God will justify the Gentiles by faith. And denounce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the pole, on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. right. Good morning, everyone. Good
0: morning.
1: Okay, all right. In case you are watching with us for the very first time, uh, my name is Tomio Lariwaju. The vision of City Church is to catalyze a gospel centered movement that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially and culturally and one of the ways we try to do that is to train church planters, alright? Of which I'm one of the church planters they are training. Now what that means for you is this that once in a while this has to happen. Alright? I'm going to stand here, declare the word of God to you, you are going to listen. compulsory, really, alright. Now um, last week while I was preparing for this sermon with Emmanuel, Oset and um, I was going to Toronto I was going to say, Pastor walked in and he said, tell me whatever you do, just show up, don't run away, alright? That sort of gives you an idea of how Pastor Femi actually views me. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> so of showing up, um, there's this great preacher, Francis Chan. Um, he was he's a, he's a preacher, and he, was, he, was, he gave a particular student of his a particular role to actually do in a particular administration. She was supposed to minister somewhere, and it was going to be a few weeks' time. So he constantly asked, her almost every week, are you ready? Are you preparing? And she was always saying. Yeah, yeah, I really hope God shows up, all right? I really just hope God shows up to bless his people. She kept on saying this over and over again, and Francis Chan, Deep Guy, he said, you know, if you really think about it, this is God's show. God is bound to show up to bless you. You are the one that has to actually show up to receive the blessing, amen, right? And I don't know what you've come, come to God here with today, right, because you have shown up, God is going to show up to bless you, whether from the anxieties of last week, from the victories, the successes, the failures of last week, God is going to show up to bless you. He also said "We you ask and we shall receive, we shall seek and we shall find, which you knock and the door will be opened unto us. And that verse then says, the fervent prayer of the righteous, you and me, does what? Makes tremendous power to be available. Will you join me, get, will you join me as we pray together for God's power to be revealed here today? Oh Lord, this is your show. Please show up to bless us please show up to edify us please show up to evangelize us and show up and glorify yourself in the name of Jesus amen amen all right now Nigerians are one of the most religious people you ever come across right now what that means for us is this we do not joke with negative utterances we don't joke with words actually we don't joke with words generally but negative utterances we don't joke with them at all i remember I remember um, one time, I, I had to get to secondary school before I actually understood that when you say, I am strong, you actually mean that you are still sick. <laughs> I really felt that if I open my dictionary and I check the word strong, I will see someone having strength and someone that is sick, all right? I mean, that was what I felt it was. Again, we don't joke with negative utterances. When I got to university, I was supposed to, was supposed to hang out with a, with a group of friends. I was supposed to donate money. you know? University, we all broke, so you know, putting money together. So then I was chatting up this guy, and I said, oh, will you be able to come? for the anger. And she says, no, I can't come because I'm rich. And I said, that doesn't. Do you mean you come because you are rich? That's weird, though. She said, no, I can't come because I'm rich. I said, but that doesn't make sense to me at all. She said, told me I don't have money. But I cannot say I don't have money. I have to say I'm rich. That's why I cannot come. Right? We do not joke with negative utterances. We do not joke, again, with curses. I grew up in a relatively wild neighborhood, relatively rough neighborhood. So when we were younger, I had this clique. We were about five. I was around five as well, right? We just caused trouble everywhere. Okay, so one time we caused trouble, and then another another woman was correcting us, and she was saying, "Why are you people doing this? Why are you people doing that?" Not about just now. We're like, we waited for her to go very, very far. Then we started running curses on her, right? They were just cursing her. My friends were cursing her over and over again. Then I wasn't cursing her at all. Then they said, "So why are you not cursing her?" I said, "Oh, I don't know how to curse," and they said, "Ah." So, when people offend you, how do you punish them? Right? And like, so, they taught me how to curse that day. Like, I became really, really good. Right, really, really good. So, I went home with this new knowledge of how to curse. Don't laugh. Oh, well, laugh. It ended, it ended the way you are thinking, right? So, I, I went with my junior sister. I said to teach her what I've learned how to curse. And all of you that have baby sisters know how this is going to end. She, she just has to shout it, all right? So, I was teaching her gently. She was shouting the whole thing. Mommy heard. She beats the fear of courses into my life that day, <laughs> all right? Again, we are constantly, and it, then all of this, this fear of courses went on for a while until we got to secondary school and they told us what? Courses don't catch students, right? So we are free to do whatever we want to do. And this, I believe, is a great theme in the text that is before us today. Courses play a huge role there. And this will lead to the topic of my sermon, why we get cursed, why we get cursed. Trust me, I came up with a better idea. But Famiwa, the creative director here, said that he's not good enough. At least, apparently, he's paid to actually reject every bright idea that is not his own. Okay. (laughs) All right, then. Anyways, so moving to the text. Paul writes to the Galatian church, and then he says something. He says, I, Paul, an apostle, he says, grace and peace be unto you. And immediately he starts to say something. He said, I am astonished that you are quickly deserting the God that has saved you into another gospel. Normally, this is not the way Paul actually writes. Normally, when Paul introduces himself, he begins to pray for the people he has written to. He begins to thank God for them. But immediately, he goes on to something else. Most of you are familiar with this kind of a thing. No, that, that particular phone call you receive. When daddy calls you, Told me, how are you? Fine. What did you mean when you actually did this particular thing? Right? There was this urgency. There was this, There was this urgency when Paul was actually talking to them. Why? Certain people have come to the Galatian church, and they were undermining Paul and undermining his message. So that's what what happens at the end of chapter 1. Paul begins to say, see, God has called me. God called me too, right? And then he begins to talk about his message that, see, I have preached this message to guys in Jerusalem, and they actually agreed with me. This message was, in fact, they saw this message and extended to me the right and of fellowship. These particular positions, oppositors were saying that, for you to put your faith in Christ Jesus is not enough. You also need to obey the works of the law and get circumcised. So Paul begins to say, even Titus, who was with me, Titus was a Gentile. All right, so a Gentile is someone that is not a Jew. We're all Gentiles. Are we together? Yeah. Good. Good. So, no, I didn't, I, didn't. <laughs> I meant to, well. anyways, so Titus himself was not compelled to get circumcised. He goes for that to say that even Peter, when Peter started by, by his own actions, started insinuating that Gentiles have to start acting like Jews for them to be justified. I opposed him to his face. And Peter didn't have anything to say because he knew I was correct. Why? All Jews know that we cannot be justified by fulfilling the works of the law. And this is what leads to chapter 3 verse 1. Paul starts chapter 3 verse 1 by saying, all foolish Galatians, we are familiar with that text. Who has bewitched you? Who has cast a spell upon you? Are you crazy? What is going on? And so, the question Paul was asking. In chapter 1, he had gotten to a point where he was actually cursing those that have actually come to preach heresies to them. In chapter 4, he gets to that point where he was saying, My little children, of whom I am in breath pains until Christ is fully formed in you. See all this range of emotions being displayed here. Is that the prospect of danger? How many of you have been at a particular point? Maybe mothers will understand here. Or maybe you're babysitting, right? You're babysitting a very, very active three year old. So you go to the mall. And this child just gets missing. All right? The way. You understand what's happening? Like you are just everywhere. Then you see them bringing the child. Trust me, what happens in Hollywood movies is not going to happen. So in Hollywood movies, you just see the child and you just go and just hug the child. Just one emotion. You have like three or four. One, you will beat the hell out of that child. But <laughs> well, you also want to hug the child and be tender. All this range of emotions is really... De- so this is, I, this is what I wrote in my text. I said, see, the reaction of those who love us to an action we take easily shows the extent of the mess we are in or the extent of the mess we are about to get into. For Paul, what was at stake was not just church division. What was at stake was not just this idea of, oh, some people will feel superior, some people will feel inferior. Something else was going on. What was the problem? The problem here was what it meant for people to be a child, Of Abraham, children of Abraham. See verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Why is this important? Remember, these are Gentile Christians, right? They have been those that have been translated from a particular kingdom to another kingdom, from being the children of somebody else to being the children of God. These particular four teachers, every commentary actually said they were Jewish, they were Christians as well. But they were Jewish Christians, saying, See, it is not enough for you to believe and say Christ is enough for you, that is why you will get justified. For you to get justified whole and complete, you also need to do the works of the law as well. And this is easily missed. The great heresy of the Galatian church was not that they were going to reject Christ Jesus, but as an acceptance of other things in addition to who Christ was. Right? Um, And and this is the great proposition I have for us today. If you don't live with anything, I need you to live knowing this. This is what Paul is saying in in Galatians chapter 3. He says, Living with the idea that Christ is enough, but I have to do these other things will ultimately lead to a cursed life. Paul is saying these false teachers are, beg- are begging you, are actually commanding you and creating a way for you to revert back to the curse of which you have been saved from. We're going to be examining this idea under three evidence one, the curse, two, the cursed ones, three, the cursed one. All right, simple one, the curse. Two, the cursed ones. Three, the cursed one. Firstly, the curse. The question then is this. Why is Paul so agitated? I really believe that Paul had the Old scripture in his mind. This is not the first time this was happening. Remember Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. God creates Adam and Eve, creates a garden, puts them into it, and says, you are free to eat of every tree of this garden except one. The day you eat of it, you shall die. The devil comes to meet them and says what? He says, oh, you will not die. And in verse 5, chapter Genesis 3, 5, it says, For God knows that when you eat from it, from this particular tree, your eyes will be opened. Pay attention. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look closely. This wasn't an overt rejection of God. Adam and Eve didn't reject God as God. They only decided that it was not enough for him to be God. They themselves could be God as well. It was not enough for God to determine what ultimate good and evil is. They themselves could decide what ultimate good and evil was. The first humans decided to add the worship of themselves to the worship of God, saying, God is enough, but I can be enough as well. This was what led to their curses. Fast track to Israel. God saved a particular set of people from, from Egypt, the Israelites, right? God saves them and then declares over them in, Deut- in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. He says, The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Going to verse 13, it says, Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Right? And that was the issue there. Serve him only. This was the great issue with the Israelites. What did they do? They decided to add other gods to the worship of God. Not necessarily because they had rejected God, but they are saying, I know God is enough, but then we can serve other gods alongside. I know I can rely on God, but I can rely on other gods alongside. And guess what happens again? The curse follows them Deuteronomy 27 and Deuteronomy 28 is all about this. The last example. The devil attempted this with Adam and Eve, he succeeded. He attempted this with Israelites. he also succeeded, right? And he also he actually attempted it with Jesus Christ as well. What was the last temptation the devil gave to Jesus? In Matthew chapter 4. He said, he said, "Bow down before me, right? And I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth." What was Jesus' response? Matthew 4:10. Jesus says, "Worship the Lord, worship the Lord your God, and serve him." only. See it again. The devil was simply saying, I know God is enough and you are his son, but had me alongside, even if it is just for a moment. Listen, to add to God in any ways, to begin to move outside the boundaries of God's blessings into curses. Paul sees this. Paul is saying, that's happened with Adam and Eve. That's happened with Israelites. And it's about to happen now. This is what the false teachers are bringing before you. They are saying Christ is enough, but you can also rely on the works of the law. Paul then writes to them and says, there are certain reasons why this can't work. One, he says, this is not the way God says leads to justification. This is not the way God says it to acceptance, completeness, and wholeness. Verse 9, the Bible says, those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, the righteous, the old, the justified, the complete, will live by faith. They are the only ones that will reap the blessings of being justified. Secondly, Every other way that we actually make up is going to ultimately lead to a curse. Check verse 10. All who rely on the works of the law. The word to rely here also means to put your trust in, to make something your God. So we can reread it this way. All who who make the law their God are under a curse. Why? Because cursed is everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. Hold on. So we're under a curse because we're under the law. Because curse is everyone I doesn't do everything written under the law. Meaning what? Paul is assuming that you will never be able to meet up with the demands of the law. And therefore, you will be cursed. So what he was saying in chapter 1, verse 7, makes he said, you have deserted God into another gospel, which is no gospel at all. If you are going to be living a cursed life, when you actually choose to get your justification by means of the law, this is no good news. This is ultimately a cursed life. So the question then is this. What is our great but? What is that thing that we, feel in, that we feel in Christ is enough but this? What is that thing we feel it with? What is that thing that gives us justification, completeness, oneness, acceptance? And this leads to my second point, the cursed one. This is the point where Pastor me takes his drinks. So I'm taking the drink. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the cursed one. There are three major examples of how we seek justification from other things. In the book book of Galatians, we say Christ is enough, but I have to be passionate for the traditions of men. Secondly, we say Christ is enough, but I have to please people. Thirdly, we say Christ is enough, but I have to please myself. So take it one after the other. Passionate about human traditions. Go back to chapter 1, verse 14. Paul actually said he was zealous for the traditions of his father. This was Paul before he became a Christian. At that point, Paul was a Pharisee. Contrary to what most of us actually think, the Pharisees were not obeying the laws of God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 verse 3, he said, You you Pharisees nullify, you negate, you despise, you neglect the laws of the Lord by your traditions. The great charge against the Pharisees was this. You are actually neglecting the word of God by having your traditions to it. And I feel strongly, and that's God's great charge to us even here today, right? For many of us, many of us are actually on this boat. We come to God simply with this idea of, I need to do things to get justified. So when you then get to the gospel, the gospel says, believe in Jesus and you get justified. You say, all right, fine, that's enough, I get that. But then I need to create other systems, other beliefs, other traditions that would demand that I actually do certain things. Why? I have to work for my justification. So we make, we break up these traditions, this belief system such that those who subscribe to them, are valued in our eyes, and those who do not subscribe to them are devalued in our eyes, all right? And so for those of us that grew up in a religious context, okay, so I'm using the, word, I'm using the term religious context loosely at this point. I'm really referring to the older generation, all right? I know this is just young, all young, yeah most of us all right <laughs> so i'm really referring to the older generation here right there's this religious context why they say those who subscribe to my beliefs those who subscribe to the things i have the traditions we've actually made up what are they they are those that are what they are good christians they are responsible that's the language you use they are responsible they are good people they are saints and those that do not conform to that what do we say we say they are sinners they are irresponsible and they are bad people and you're probably here you're saying yeah we've progressed we've progressed beyond that we're not like that anymore. Do you even know that many preachers are Puppets? All right, and he's on dreads. We really don't judge anybody. <laughs> Nobody's a sinner in our place, all right? But what I'm actually proposing to us is this. We're essentially the same. Our context might have changed, but we are still the same. So I believe, again, we are actually in a very, very intellectual context, right? What that means for us is this, that we have certain beliefs, certain traditions, certain ways of thinking, such that if people subscribe to them, what do you call them? Open-minded, exposed, progressive. And when they do not subscribe to those things, what do we call them? Bigoted, close-minded, not smart enough. And if you bring this to the religious context, to the gospel, what this means for you, what we all do is this. Those that do not know enough sound doctrine as we do, they are less accepted. In fact, some of us even push them to the boundaries of saying that they are probably unbelievers. We forget the fact that the grounds for justification in the Bible is not your knowledge of sound doctrine. The grounds for justification is putting your faith in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. So you have simply conformed to a system which says it is borderline sinful for you not to agree with me or to know what I know. Yeah. We are just like the whole previous generation. The great problem with this is this. When do you think you will ever know enough? When do you think you will ever do enough? So you are constantly learning, constantly pursuing knowledge. Why? Because your greatest nightmare is to sound not smart. Your greatest nightmare is to sound bigoted. Right? Now, I'm not saying learning is bad. I'm not saying pursuing knowledge is bad. I'm saying pursuing knowledge as a means of acceptance and justification will ultimately lead to a cursed life. You have moved outside the boundaries of God's blessings. Not only this. Again, the way we're actually similar to the other generation. What happens when you sin? Right? For many of us, Many of us, some of you are probably angels. All right. So for for many of us, we get to this point where we say we sin and we say, God forgive me, and then you ask again, God forgive me. And then you ask it again. And on your way to doing something else, you are going to ask again, why? You've, you will never feel like you've done anything great enough to actually deserve forgiveness. Just the same way, you didn't feel like you've done anything great enough to actually deserve justification. So you are constantly working for justification. You are also constantly working for forgiveness. Maybe I'm not remorseful enough. Maybe I've not been remorseful for long enough. That's the reason why I've not been justified. It's a life full of anxieties, uncertainties, never knowing peace. These new systems you are under are actually bad forgivers. And even when you do what they want you to do, they are bad justifiers. Why? They will constantly demand for more. You will never know enough. You will never do enough. Paul sees this as a cursed life. Do you? Second point, people pleasers. Check chapter, chapter 2, verse 12. Bible says Peter was scared of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And what then did you do? You wanted to please men. This plays out in our fear of people's condemnation when we are doing what they don't want us to do, and our inordinate desires for their commendation, even when we attempt to do what they want us to do. So for some of us, traditions are not working. And we know, you know, traditions have condemned you. So you just say, OK, you know what? I'm going to seek for justification. I'm going to seek for acceptance from people. So it's not enough that the Bible says, I am good. It's not enough for that. The Bible says I am forgiven. If that particular person or those group of people accept me, then I will feel good about myself. You are constantly seeking for commendation. You begin to do with people just so you can hear them say, well done, good job. The problem is this. Even that will still not be enough. Let me explain. Probably you found yourself in this situation before. You know, um, you did something at work. You worked on a particular project. The project was successful because of your skill, because of your resilience, because of your brain. You are really smart. So your boss holds a board meeting. And then he says, oh, please, let's clap for Shola. She was really amazing. She did this great stuff. Because of her skill and her resilience and her competence, that is why this project was successful. And then if it's as cool as Pastor Femi he ends and does this, proud of you. All right? And then, you go, and then he says, um, moving on to the next on the agenda. And for a split second, and for many of us, it gets longer than that, you go, not, okay. after all what I've done, right? because the praises you are giving me are actually not proportionate to what I've actually done to deserve this. I deserve more, or maybe in relationships. all right? You begin to look for people that are actually, have, maybe your, your spouse, your boyfriend, or your girlfriend. You, know, they be, you do something nice, and they're going, oh, you're so awesome, you're cool, you're this, you're that, I'm choking, my hair pipe is not even flowing anymore. <laughs> they're putting fire on top of your head, and just like every commendation is supposed to end, it ends, and you go, Is that what you are going to say? After all, I have done. You see, the problem is this. People will never justify you enough, even if you do what is right. They will never give you enough to really satisfy that craving of justification that is inside of you. You will always crave more than people will ever be able to give you. So you are going through life, never feeling like the praises are enough. But at the same time, you are constantly scared that if you actually fail, they will not forgive you. See, fundamentally, there are two things we actually want in this life. We want to be fully known. I want to be fully loved. To be known, to be loved when you're not fully known is superficial. And you know it, if you're honest with yourself. So this is what begins to happen. You begin to try so hard, work so hard, so you can actually live up to the picture of what that person has in mind of you to actually love, right? And your greatest nightmare is this. If they find out where you are right now, they probably will not love you. So it's a constant life of turmoil and restlessness. Paul says this here is a cursed life. People will never justify you even, if you, even if you do what is right. And they will not forgive you if you do what is wrong. So just a quick recap. So traditions are bad justifiers. Why? Because they will always demand for more. People are bad justifiers. Why? Because they will never be able to give you what you need. And so some of us become self-pleasers. All right. So you are saying, you know what? Traditions. I don't have anything to do with it. So, you No, know, I don't want all the rules. I'll just take it away. You know, it's not going to work. I'm just constantly going to get condemned. You know, people are just judgmental. Those traditional people, they are just judgmental set of people. So you need to seek. You've also tried approval in people. And then you feel as like if they will never give you enough. In fact, maybe some people have exploited you. You've given so much, and then they've not given anything in return. So you say, if justification is going to come for me, it's going to come from outside of myself. That's come from myself. right? So you live your life based on this idea that conscience is king. And I can't count the amount of people that I've actually met that that's the way they operate. So as long as my conscience is OK with it, I'm totally fine. See, I, think I really think that's a big problem as well. Why? You see, it's not just about the fact that you want justification. You also want justification from the right person. Let me explain. So you're an accountant, and then your boss says, You're the best accountant I've ever worked with. You will value that opinion above your little daughter who tells you, Daddy, you're really the best accountant that anybody has ever worked with. Why? Because your child doesn't know enough to determine who a good or a bad accountant is. Your child is not in a position to declare you justified, and even if a bad accountant cannot forgive you. And this is what happens with our own conscience. Our consciences are utterly deceptive. How many times, listen, how many times have, you, have your conscience actually permitted you to do certain things, and in the next five minutes, that same conscience is coming back to actually condemn you and say that this is what you have done is not right, but it actually deceived you? Is it that same conscience you want to live your life based on? Is it that same conscience? Or maybe even this conscience, we, we tend to just ignore this fact. Again, I'm not insulting you. I promise. I'm not insulting you. So I'm going to say something, right? Disclaimer, all right? We ignore the fact that our lives are objective evidence that we're actually not smart enough. We don't know enough. they are pretty stupid. I mean <laughs> right, how do I know this? Let me explain. How do I know this? Timotella used a very great analogy. He said, when you were 25, in case you were 25, maybe are younger. When you were 25, you looked at your 20 year old self and you said, man, I really did stupid stuff. Whoa. I mean, I was really dumb. When you are 40, you look at your 25 year old self and said the very same thing. When you are 60, you will say the very same thing. When you're 70, you look back at your 65 year old self and say, I was pretty stupid. You see what happens? You never stop being stupid. You only become less stupid, right? I mean, you only get wiser. And you see, again, we do not have enough knowledge to declare ourselves justified. We don't have enough knowledge to determine what ultimate right or wrong is. And you know this. You notice know that at best your conscience, at best, your conscience is like a little girl who is telling her dad who's a failed accountant that you're the best accountant in the world. It doesn't mean anything. Why? Because you don't have enough knowledge to actually determine who a good or a bad accountant is. You are not wired to be a justifier. What these people actually know, those that actually seek justification in people and in traditions, what they've gotten right is this. If justification is going to come, cannot come from it, it has to come from outside my of myself. And all of us actually know this. How? For a generation that values self-affirmation and acceptance so much, we do tend to spend a lot of money paying people to tell us how to affirm ourselves more. Right? Because we already know that if justification is going to come, it cannot come from me. Somebody has to tell me that. Right? And all the systems that we make up, traditions people and ourselves, then we ultimately lead to a cursed life. Why? There is no justifier there. There is no forgiver there if you do anything wrong. All that is there is just curses. And if you subscribe to this in any way, there are two reasons why you are not in ultimate despair right now. One, you're probably not thinking about it well enough. And secondly, God is actually choosing you from the effects of the curse. If setting yourself on the path of the blessing will ensure that you see certain effects of the blessing now and ultimately in the life to come, then you can bet that if you set yourself on the path of the curse, you will see certain effects now i not making the life to come. And if you are not, I submit to you that it is because God's grace has actually been shielding you from the effects of the curse. Do not despise God's grace over your life. You need to repent. In a world where God exists, it is dangerous, it is foolish, it is bewitching, it is crazy and inconceivable for you to go about doing things your own way and not in God's way. What then is God's way? The Bible says that's the gospel. I'm going to define the gospel in a particular way. There are more comprehensive ways to define the gospel. City Church has one. You can check it out. But um, I'm going to define the gospel this way The gospel is good news containing a promise, for the sake of this conversation. The gospel is good news containing a promise. You see, for a promise to yield its results, it has to be believed. I mean, that's the only way a promise can use this result. But for a law to yield this result, it has to be obeyed. The gospel by its very nature doesn't say do this or do that so you can get blessed. The gospel, by its very nature, says something has been done on your behalf. Believe in this, and you are going to get blessed. The law makes promises and issues stress on the basis of doing. Check All the examples I've listed, all of them are based on efforts, based on what I need to do. Verse 12 of chapter 3 says this. The law is not based on faith. It says the one who does these things shall live by them. But guess what? You will not do all these things. And indeed you cannot. The goodness of the gospel is this, that nothing needs to be done. And I'm probably here you're saying, yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of things in the past. I don't know what you've done. I don't care about what you've done. The way to justification, the way to acceptance, the way to oneness is to put your faith in Christ Jesus. But we have all neglected this way, haven't we? At one point or the other. We have all sought for other gods outside of God. We have all decided to create these laws, create these people that are going to accept us, or even try and seek acceptance from ourselves. You need something to hold on to. Some of you are probably even feeling like, man, I'm going to do this again next week. I understand what you're saying is all beautiful, but I really need that person to approve of me. Paul says you need something you can hold on to when you fall again. You need an event. So there's this particular name that has been coming up in in the book of Galatians a lot. His name is Abraham. The Bible says Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. What did he believe in God for? That goodness held a promise for Abraham. It was a promise of a child and the promise of a land. Abraham believed God for that and he was declared righteous. But the next verse does something very surprising. Abraham says, How will I know that what you've actually promised me is going to come to pass? Because you see, the time between the promise. And the fulfillment is really long. I mean, I need something. I need something that is going to assure me. And probably you are here as well. You are probably thinking the same thing. I need something that is going to assure me. I need something that is going to, in case I, in case I fall, in case I fall, in case I keep on doing the same thing again. What is that thing that is going to assure me? God says, Abraham, you need an event. And so what does God do? God says, Abraham, get me a cow. Get me a ram. Get me a goat. Get me a dove and get me a pigeon. And the next verse, the Bible says, Abraham splits those animals, right? Abraham splits those animals. You see, what was happening was this in ancient Eastern traditions, the greater king, when the great king conquers a lesser king, he, he creates a covenant with the lesser king and then sets up certain laws and says, If you do, and, and tells the lesser king to walk through the animals and say, if you do not fulfill the requirements of this covenant, may you be cursed. Alright. So ideally. It was Abraham that was meant to walk through those split animals. And he knew that if he was going to walk through those split animals. That was not good news for him. Why? At chapter 13, he just pimped out his wife to Pharaoh. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Right? He was constantly failing. He was constantly not good enough. So you need to see, if this covenant, is, if this promise is going to be fulfilled based on me following the requirements of this covenant, I am doomed. What Paul, what, 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 what Abraham saw in those split animals was not good news for him. And there was darkness, the Bible say darkness fell upon him. There was the darkness of fear, darkness of anxieties, darkness of insufficiency, darkness of incapabilities. But lo and behold, the Bible says a flaming pot came. A flaming pot was coming and he walked through the split animals. That flaming pot, was God what God was saying to Abraham? Was this you will not have to do anything to feel complete, whole, and justified? You will not have to do anything. Why? I have done all these things on your behalf. Oh, you need to see this one of the greatest pictures of the gospel of, of grace and the gospel ever written in the Bible. When Abraham was the one who had to work with the spirit animals, Abraham was the one who had to fulfill all the requirements needed for the covenant to hold. God switches that. And says i will do all this on your behalf now listen carefully it is the one that walks through the spit animals that the curse is supposed to come upon if 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 abraham walked through those spit animals and those required those requirements for the law those requirements for that covenant will not be met because abraham was going to be cursed but god walked through those pit animals and said if the requirements for this covenant are not being met let only one person be cursed that is not you abraham why you are lying down It's going to be me why because i walked through those pit animals on your behalf Paul says this and declares this same thing to the Galatian church. In case you feel like you are not good enough, you have messed up, you are probably feeling condemned. Paul says, Look to Jesus. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? He became a curse for us because curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. He is the reason why you will get justified. He is the reason why you will be accepted. He is the reason why you will feel complete and whole. There is a blessing because of what Christ has done for us. In case you are in please come to Jesus in Christianity there is forgiveness when you fail. there is justification for you there is a great justifier here there is a great forgiver here there is a great blesser here but it didn't end there and if you on my sermon I said something I said this is God's show right now this is the only show God's show is the only show where they will pay for your ticket for you to come and then they'll give you a blessing as you're going on Right now, this is what's happening here. But Paul says, Christ has redeemed us, from, redeemed us from the curse of the law, such that the blessing of Abraham, listen, might come upon the Gentiles, so that what they might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. That is your gift, that's the gift you are going on with. Why? Because of what Christ has done on your behalf, the Spirit brings new life. The Spirit brings new hope. Because of what the Spirit has done, you are reminded that you are God's child. You are fully accepted, you are fully loved, you are fully whole. And this changes how you view everything because you are fully accepted and justified before God, you can pursue learning the right way. Not as a means for your justification, not as a means for your acceptance, but for learning's sake, because you really want to know. Because you are fully accepted and justified before God. You can seek for people's approval the right way. We're not saying you do not see for people's approval. Why? If you don't, maybe you don't get promoted. Right? But now you can seek for people's approval knowing that their condemnation and their commendation has nothing on you. Why? You have been fully accepted by God. Not that all these things are bad. You can then begin to scar the nightmare of people feeling like oh they'll probably not love me they don't fully know me you can live the dream which has become a reality because what christ has done that you are fully known you are fully loved a songwriter said indescribable uncontainable he has seen the depths of our hearts and he loves us the same he is an amazing god you can because you are fully accepted and whole you can behold your failure with with faith and say that even if my heart condemns me god is greater than my heart and he has declared me justified he has declared me forgiven he has declared me Oh, when condemnation comes rushing like a flood the spirit of the most High god within within you will remind you that there is a cross upon which the blessed one became the cursed one so that you the cursed one can become the blessed one that there is a grave that holds no dead body anymore there is a throne upon which sits the king of kings and lord of lords the god of abraham isaac and of jacob your god declares you justified. Your God declares you forgiven. Your God declares you all. Your God declares you complete. Christ is enough. There is no but. There is no but anyway. Christ is enough. And this is the way to blessing. This is the way to joy, peace, and
0: happiness. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos